welcome to the Your Data Driven Podcast. If you like this podcast, be sure to visit our website at yourdatadriven.com for more useful help and advice on setting up your race car, mastering data analysis, and driving faster. Welcome to episode seven. In today's episode, I'm talking to Scott Mantle from Driver61. Former professional racing driver, Scott now works full-time to help you improve your driving. With a hugely popular selection of online videos and resources, Scott has also developed real-world and sim racing masterclass programs to help you improve your driving. Today he shares a little bit of his backstory that you may not have heard of, why he started Driver61, and why he was never destined to make it as a cake baker. So let's sit back and enjoy what Scott has to say. Well, welcome, Scott. Hi, Samir. Thank you very much for having me. It's my, my pleasure, honestly. And um, thank you in advance for taking the time. No, no problem at all. Um, we were not so busy with, because of all the race circuits closing down. We've accelerated some stuff that we were working on with the business. And so actually, we're extremely busy during this uh, lockdown period. Well, I tell you what, that's that's great to hear. So what, what we'll do is if we can give get a bit of background on you and what you're up to for the for the benefit of the people who, who may not be aware of, of who you are and what you're up to. And then maybe we'll get your thoughts on the day job these days in terms of developing drivers and you know, things that you've learned, maybe maybe two or three things that people listening can sort of take away and go, Yeah, I haven't really thought of that before. I'll go, I'll go and try that, you know, some, something actionable that they can, they can try that's simple that maybe you've seen from all of your experience. It's like a common trait or something like that. And then, yeah. and you know, something, something that, that would just sort of help people out. But I think otherwise they'd just be fascinated to hear about you and your story. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm Scott Mansell. I founded Driver 61 uh, about four years ago now. And we train racing drivers. The The primary goal of the business is to help drivers to understand how to be quick on circuit. We primarily focus on the club motorsport area, uh, although we do work with some pro drivers as well. So I started the business four years ago uh, and decided to try and give as much value on the internet as I possibly could. So I created a series of 25 tutorials that move drivers through techniques such as just understanding the racing line from the basics there all the way through to kind of how to trail break how to find the limit quickly when you're on circuit and so on but where can people find you online in case they haven't already uh so we're at driver61.com or we've got a youtube channel uh, that's just ticked over 150,000 subscribers today actually which is which wow. is pretty cool <laughs> congratulations that's insane yeah 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 it's amazing actually for such in youtube terms at least for such a niche uh market it's it's incredible i've been racing all my life you know i was lucky i i started karting when when i was 5 years old built my own kart when i was 7 uh, because my dad always used to make me work on, on, on the carts, which was actually a blessing in disguise. It, when I was in my teenage years, I didn't think it was such a, a great thing. <laughs> but they always used to make me work on the carts and cars when I was older as well. And actually, that really taught me uh, the mechanics. My dad's a race engineer. He runs a race team. Okay. So I was lucky in that respect. I was hesitate about asking you this question. You must have been asked a million times. You know what? You know the one that's coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
who's your dad? <laughs> or who's not your dad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my dad isn't Nigel. Um, we are from, I mean, I'm from Birmingham, so we're, we're from the same area, but we're not related. I haven't really ever looked into it, but it's definitely not part of my direct my direct family. <laughs> it's funny, actually, I, we've gone off the a little bit, but I raced in the US in 2005 and 2006 in Indy Lights and um, Speed TV in the US. When I went over there, they ran like a segment for a couple of days saying that Nigel Mansell's son was going to race in the US. Wow. <laughs> and I just let it run because I thought, well, you know, any publicity. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to cart. I uh, I then moved into single seaters and we took a bit of a different route with my single seater career. Um, in terms of when I was 17, we were looking at options, which were back then was like Formula Renault or Formula mm. BMW. And we thought, well, my, my sponsor actually said to me, look, Scott, you can either go and do that or we'll give you the same amount of money to go and race in the Boss GP Championship, which is for car F1 cars that are, I think the, the youngest you can have is five years old. Um, yeah. So we can get you to go and do this and you'll go and race at um, all the European circuits in a quick single seater. And it will be a bit easier to um, to get a bit more sponsorship behind you because it's a bit more exciting than being stood at Snetterton watching a Formula Renault go around in the rain uh so so we did that and um in 2004 i won that championship and we broke lots of outright lap records and and so on i got lots of publicity and so that kind of kicked off my my single seater career i got nominated for the brdc young driver of the year award and and so on uh Durista actually won it that year i didn't win the rest right. won it uh and then i and then and then i tested with arden uh in that winter for the first year of GP2, which was just starting up in 2005. But unfortunately, typical story, I uh, couldn't get the money together because although it was subsidized by Red Bull, uh, they still wanted like half of the budget, which was which was a lot of yeah. money. So uh, we couldn't get that together. So I took the, the money that I did have together and went, went to do kind of some sporadic races in Indy Lights on the road courses in the US, which was an interesting experience. I bet. Uh, just, just to roll back a little bit on the – because you, it's, it's cost you a lot to get to that point. So, you, And you've managed to find a sponsor and such like. How did that all work? I mean, we're, I know we've gone off a, a tangent straight away, but we'll come back. We will come back. But <laughs> I just think people would be fascinated to know – about that because a lot of no in fairness a lot of people listening will have thought well i quite fancy being a racing driver maybe when they're growing up and they haven't managed to navigate that part of the career and they've gone and got a job or something and then they're funding their racing passion through their day job but if it had been slightly different they might have fancied been in your shoes so how did you how did you do that i mean did he did he have a super wealthy family or did you have some some method of getting getting finance even up until that point no i'm i'm from a normal family um it's it's extremely difficult you know i've been around motorsport all my life and it's it's quite rare that you see a a genuine sponsorship deal taking place Mm. and by that i mean you know someone's gone and got in front of a business and managed to sell them some kind of marketing package i think maybe it's a little bit easier now if you've got like a social media presence, I'm finding with Driver 61 now that we've got some, you know, some audience there, things are a bit easier because you've got another, you've got another platform to to advertise on, not just you know, not just the side yeah. of the car. And um, so, I mean, it's incredibly diffi- 
difficult to get the money together and and that's why we went down the route of the old f1 car because that was easier it it was easier to to get more sponsorship together so the 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 sponsor was a, a a loose connection of my father so i was lucky in that respect but it it certainly wasn't one of my family friends you know we still had to put a proper proposal together as i think with many things you're using your your contact base and so we did that and because of the f1 car and because i was 17 and this was back in 2004 so it was unusual for a teenager to be in an f1 car it's not like it is nowadays you know i think uh at that point the youngest f1 driver had been 21 22 and i I guess particularly those cars as well because they're more physical yeah i mean i so i drove a 97 benetton in 2003 so it was a six-year-old car no power steering 720 brake horsepower uh v10 it it was yeah yeah (laughs) it it was really cool it was really cool difficult to hang on to sometimes with 17 year olds shoulders but um (laughs) Yeah, but it, it, I mean, and that's why we went down that route. So I guess my advice is to do something different. That's why we chose not to do Formula BMW. Everyone was doing that at the time. Everyone that mm. had money was doing that at the time. But like I say to you, if you put in front of a sponsor eight rounds around the UK versus in a you know in a Formula BMW. Granted, I think it supported Toka that year, so it was quite a good package. But if you compare that against going to Monza. Paul Ricard's Estoril, wherever in a in a V10 F1 car where you can bring fifty guests and you know it's it's very very cool championship, then it's easier to get the money together and the budget was the same. It was about one hundred and fifty grand. I actually (laughs) it didn't work, but I actually (laughs) that the the next year I was thinking, well, if I want to get some money together, I could amplify the exposure if I go to or if, if I can get some magazines involved. Mm-hmm. So this was in the kind of peak years of Top Gear. So I went down to London with one of my friends who pretended to be my PR agent. And uh, I baked, I actually baked six cakes that looked like the the, the, the F1 car. <laughs> right. Got dressed up as the Stig and went into all of the foyers of these big magazine uh, companies in London and sent, gave them a letter and presented a cake to them. And in the letter, explained what I was doing and showed some photos of me making the cakes and things like this. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I got replies from GQ and I can't remember the names now, FHM, was it? Yeah, FHM magazine and so on. But we, we, we couldn't go any further forwards because my sponsor at that time was Zigzag Rolling Papers and they didn't want the association. So it was... Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to you've got to try these things. You've got to go and do them. And I think if you're a good marketer, then you can sell the marketing for for anything. And um, the motorsport is just a, a channel for that. You, I mean, you might be interested. There's a a fellow I've had on the show recently, and he's managed to raise forty thousand pounds in sponsorship for his racing. Yeah. Um. He when he came onto the show, he he'd only just got his race license the Friday before. He's never raced a car on a track <laughs> and i'm like what have you done <laughs> how have you done that <laughs> and, he, and he's actually a psychologist and he works with uh, mclaren and on all their their race driver program and he's just fancies having a go at racing himself and i guess part of it he's, he didn't know any different i think 
in the sense of like, well, you just raise money, don't you, to go racing, and this is what I'm just going to go and do that. And I'm like, oh, um, none of the rest of us have thought about doing Well, we have, and we just thought, oh, it, we don't know where to start. And he's just gone, oh, no, I've just gone off and done this. And, yeah, it's really easy. It's not easy, but <laughs> it's just like, oh. <laughs> okay. I think the uh, the drivers, are not a small part of it in terms of the performance, but actually if you're selling a package to somebody, the presentation and what you're offering there is kind of the, the, the big chunk of of the value. Um, I agree. And I, I think actually nowadays, I mean, when I was trying to find money, there was no social media or there was no kind of individual profile like we have now, like it's possible mm-hmm. to make now. You know, you look at some of the YouTubers or, yeah, well, YouTube, if you look at some of the YouTubers out there, if if you have a couple of hundred thousand subscribers there and you can show that they're going to watch some adverts and you can add that into a sponsorship package, you've got much more value than just offering, you know, corporate hospitality at Brands Hatch for the weekend. To be honest, listening to your story, the creativity, his story, and you're thinking, right, um, I've just, well, there's no real reason that we can't get a bunch, certainly a club level budget together, you know? <laughs> I mean, no, come on. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, something that hopefully we can all be inspired to go off and more effort into, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I think it's a bit easier now than, than it was. I mean, I, I think the key would be to get a, a social media following and then, and then and then sell that and especially for for, for club level uh budgets then yeah then it then it's certainly possible sorry i interrupted um you were saying <laughs> you were saying so so you've 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 heading off down this way and you've got a test with arden so how did that go so it was really good actually i tested with scott speed and neil yarney mm-hmm. they went on to have have good careers i've always thought that was a great name other than your name <laughs> which is obviously a good name that's another great name for a racing driver isn't it scott speed yeah i mean <laughs> yeah blessed <laughs> scott quite quick <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah it, it was it was really good like i say they still wanted some money and so we couldn't we couldn't get that together plus it was the first year of gp2 and it, it's always uh tricky going into a new championship the first year because mm. You've got to kind of you've got to look at who's going to de- be able to develop the car and understand the car as quickly as possible. Whereas if it's if it's a, a series that's already been running for a few years, you know that everyone's going to more or less have, have found out how to, how to run the car properly. Anyway, that didn't happen, so I went and did sporadic races in the in the US. Uh, did a couple of ovals as well, which was interesting. And then it you know it just wasn't working out. I went when I raced in the US. I did it on the minimum budget. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, I could make the money that I had go a bit further because you won prize money in the US. It wasn't much, but you won some prize money. So you could use reinvest that to f- kind of half fund the season. But it, it was it was difficult and I didn't do any testing or anything like that. So to jump in at that level, and even though it wasn't the level of GP2, it was still a high, very high level. To jump in without any testing was a monumental task. You, you need to be well prepared, and I wasn't as well prepared as I should have been. But, you know, we we had some good results, and then just you know, I I couldn't commit to a full season, so I started to think about coaching, and I coached the following ten years, and then in the end, ended up traveling around the world racing and coaching still and that's when I started driver 61 because I was spending you know six or seven months a year out of the country and I enjoyed it for three or four years and then it 
started to become a bit tiresome. But in terms of the coaching, I've talked to a few people about this and it's either a means to an end or they, they just find coaching and actually love it. Coaching in general is absolutely brilliant. I absolutely love it. I think one of the issues is some drivers are doing it just because they're waiting for their racing to still happen and they're just doing it to fill in the gaps. I actively took the decision to coach, you know, especially now with the programs that I've developed, which I guess we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. There's moments in the programs that we run where you just see the drivers click and the light bulb <laughs> goes off and you can see that they've had years and years and years of trying something and not quite understood it. And then through our programs, they understand them and it clicks. And that moment that I see pretty much every day that I'm coaching is is fantastic. I guess that's the the joy of of teaching anything is when you make someone understand something and you it's like a mixture of delight and relief because they've obviously been trying <laughs> it for a long time and you just see them go, ah, like I understand it now. I understand it. Coaching's brilliant. It just depends on the the type of format it's in. So I coached, you know, a, a typical coach will follow a number of drivers around whichever championships they're doing and they'll go to a typical test day and they will they will coach, they'll use data, they might not get in the car that often. There's limited track time at test days and so on. And so you end up just working very closely with five or six drivers a year and running around the country, <laughs> Europe or, or the world, depending on who your client base is. Which, which can get a little bit tiresome. Well, it did for me after four years of spending six months a year away. Um, so I started Driver 61 with the aim of helping as many drivers as I could. And that's why I used the internet. I've always been interested in, in the internet and I always wanted to scale. It's quite a difficult thing to scale one-to-one coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, um, so I started making all these videos and, and built the website. And I mean, like I said to you, the, the the websites had i don't know over 10 million views now the videos have millions of minutes watched like 10 million minutes a month watched online which is which is amazing amazing that's how i scaled and and we get emails every day like i've just read one today uh just thanking me for helping people understand and the goal was always to give away that information and just help as many people as we could and there wasn't too much out there so um you know much like your website it's a joy to to teach people yeah absolutely and and it's so lovely to hear that clearly i've i'm, I'm trying to do a little bit of the same uh, in terms of sharing our passion, really, so that people can help themselves uh, enjoy our sport even more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as as a coach as well, you also get exposure to many drivers and you often see drivers come in for a year full of energy. They've had their Porsche on the road. They want to try out racing. So they get an academy car or they do the genetic thing or whatever they do. And then they go, Oh. shit this is harder than i thought <laughs> yeah, exactly. this is harder than i thought and it's quite expensive to run midfielder at the back then they come to this realization and then they they disappear that's a real shame though isn't it that they disappear my philosophy is that if they come in and they actually get some training and they understand things a little bit more they're going to enjoy it more because they're going to be in control better with the car. They're going to do a better job. So there's some hope that they're going to get some results. You know, most people who come into motorsport, they're competitive people and they don't want to just drive around at the back. If they, you know, get the right education, they're going to have a better 
you know a better chance of winning or at least be somewhere close so that they you know they do have the odd opportunity at getting the podium and then they're going to stick around for longer and it will help the sport grow and uh, you know as a passionate enthusiast as well as a driver that's yeah. that's what I want to see happen you know I, I love racing I've been at racetracks since I was born so uh, I just love it and I want to just help the sport as much as I can. So uh, let me let me pick up on that a little bit because there's a slight elephant in the room and you, you, you touched on it with the with the word competitive there but there's also well how, how can I flip this in a nice positive way our sport traditionally has not had coaches and and my other work in Olympic sports and professional sports, it, it's weird in comparison. Every level of athlete has a coach in motor racing for whatever reason. I don't still quite don't quite understand it, but we don't have them. And I don't know whether that's because of a bravado thing or maybe a not an arrogance, but a, a kind of confidence. It's like where you kind of work it out yourself, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, the, what I'm kind of this is this is just my my impression, but therefore my my thought sometimes is is for some for someone like yourself in a coaching role, it can possibly be a bit difficult to for for, for people to understand the value of coaching. So why would someone use a coach? I, because it almost seems like a remedial thing. It's like there's something wrong. What value am I really going to get? from a coach who's not in the car with me or whatever how can they really help me so is that is that something you can help us understand like you know lots of people do have have coaches nowadays if you look at the academy the Catrum academy and i use that because it's quite a good entry point for a lot of drivers they a lot of them do do have coaches but i think they it does take a while for someone to realize that they need to get a coach and I think it's because those people the people who are racing come from being interested in cars all their life and driving cars all their life and so like I said before if they've had a performance road car they think that they're fast they might have taken it on a few track days and things and thought oh yeah I can can do this this is fine in honesty you know the the pace of a track day is miles off what a a race day pace would be right so you can get a full sense of security and my old business partner at driver 61 when we had the when we had the online store i first met him at brands hatch uh, in 2015 i think and he had a successful business he had a porsche on the road He'd done a couple of track days and he went and bought a radical sr1 did one track day in it and then did the first race at brands hatch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this okay. was in october well he did it was his first race he did the last race of the season at brands hatch wow. and i i was there i was just um just won the radical championship actually but i, I met him at the back of the garages he'd had a sp- it was it was damp he'd had a spin coming off clearways like drifted perfectly parallel with the uh with the pit wall narrowly missed it and he was out the back of the garage and i went to see if he was okay <laughs> Yeah. And his words to me were, God, I've been driving a Porsche on the road for years. I didn't think it was going to be this difficult. And he was like still six or seven seconds off, off the ultimate pace, which wasn't bad, actually, considering he hadn't really done anything. But from his perspective, he thought, well, well, you know, I can drive these other cars on the road quickly down the country lane. Why can't I race? And I think that's the first kind of hurdle to get over. I co- ended up coaching him and he... <laughs> So he that that he was actually the start of this type of training that I'm doing now. He said to me 
that day, actually, he said to me, if I want to go from where I am now, which is zero, to being quick, what do I need to do? And I said, let's let's go. We went to Blyton Park. I said, let's go to Blyton in a road car and we'll do the basics. And we, we went there for three days. And I, I left there thinking, I've been doing for the last 10 years. This guy's made more improvement in three days than I could extract of like a year's worth of testing. Like seriously, and that, that was the kind of start of it. I realized like he's learned so much. Um, I said to him, forget about these radicals because you're not getting the, the time to overtake. Plus you don't get as many opportunities. I said to him, go and do single make with loads of overtaking and, um, and then you'll get comfortable around other cars. Take a year away from the radicals and go and do that. Go and do that. So he, he did the MX-5s and he learned more in three races of doing that than he did in three seasons of the Radicals in terms of racecraft, at least. It, you know, it, it genuinely is the, the coaching side of stuff. It genuinely is a lot of fun. And what we're doing now is the most effective stuff I've ever done. I, I, you, you know, we do it in MX-5s and probably 10 people have bought MX-5s afterwards as a training car. <laughs> I mean, that's another, another thing. We do it in a slow car like an MX-5 to open up more yeah. capacity. Racing is a completely different world to being able to drive a Ferrari or a Porsche on the road. It just, it's just not even the same thing, is it? I, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. And that, that's, this is the weird thing because you, so I, I particularly have a you know, some racing experience in a fairly low powered car, and yet and people sort of go, "Oh, it's not a posh car," and I'm like, "Yeah, but it's still racing." I've got no snobbery around around any kind of racing. I'll jump in anything and race. And actually, in some of the more clubby races that I've done over the last years, I've had the most the most fun. I don't like. I'm I, I am very competitive, but I'd prefer to have an amazingly fun race for fourth or fifth than just to walk yeah. away at the front. Cause it, and uh, that's the joy for me. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's you know, to, to do well in any kind of one-make championship, you, you need to be fairly good. And and it's that's quite a hard thing to, to, to get across because it's a sport and that's the sport side of it. And it's there's a lot of really, really good people who've been doing it a long time. Yeah. So... So what is it? So if someone came to you and said they're in that, that position or they may have a Porsche, but they may not. They may be, um, you know, at a lower level and they may think, right, okay, I want to get some tuition or I want to get a bit of guidance before I do my first race. And they come to you and they say, right, okay, Scott, what what is it that you can, you know, because people talk about lap time. So um, one of the things is, you know, everyone's try- so everyone tries to encapsulate their improvement in terms of lap time, which is a sort of a Formula One problem that we have to ha- have to deal with because that's that's their mantra, isn't it? You know, well, yeah. how much lap time is that going to give me? But in in your senses, they're going to say, well, if I come to you, how much quicker am I going to go? Because it's not an insignificant investment for them in the grander scheme of things. So there's always essential investments like getting a car or getting access to a car and uh, race entries. These are kind of essential fees, which are also quite a lot if you haven't done it before. Yeah. So then the driver coach on top of that, it's kind of like, well, is that really necessary? So how would you answer that question? For, first of all, I, I d- we, we don't do what I would say is a normal coaching, trackside coaching anymore. Um, going back, you know, I, I did that for 10 years and – I mean, that clearly does add some value. Yes, yeah, it does. Don't get me wrong. It's got its place. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's it's pointless. It's it's definitely got value there. But 
after all the traveling that I did and all of that stuff from, as I mentioned before, I, I took a step back from the typical coaching that I was doing and thought if we could make training for racing drivers, club racing drivers as efficient as possible, what would that look like? Um, and what it doesn't look like is doing four or five sessions of 20 minutes on a crowded track during a track day without anyone sat next to you in the coaching seat. So the issues are obviously if you wanted to hire Donington Park for the day to yourself and not have any traffic, it's going to cost you 12 or 15 grand, you know, <laughs> so it becomes, yeah. it becomes impossible. So I took this step back, started designing programs. We've got like a, a five-step program that we have that drivers come and do throughout the season. And we do it on a circuit that we hire exclusively. So there's no traffic. So you're not getting disrupted all the time. You know, you know yourself, if you just have someone in the mirror, then you lose some conscious attention on, on, on what you're actually trying to do in the next corner. Ironically, particularly on a track day, I find them personally a little bit more stressful than a, a race practice when we're all out in the same class, because at least we're notionally all the same speed. But on a, on a, on a track day, you've got everyone. Exactly. It's very inefficient track time on a track day. Again, they still have the place. If you need to go and learn a circuit, right, then it's got its place. Or if you need to go and test yep. the day before race weekend, then it, then it works well. But if you want to work on your core technique, your core understanding, then it isn't really a great place. So I actually started looking at other sports and how people train for other sports, you know, like, like karate, for example. And I chose karate because the goal is to actually have complex movements going all the time that are reactive to another person that's in front of you. And it's pretty similar to driving a car. You're reacting to the car, you're predicting what's happening, and it's this complex combinement of of different inputs and understanding as you're on the circuit. Uh, and that's the typical problem. Most drivers go out on the track and they just pound around unconsciously and wonder why they're two or three seconds off the pace, the ultimate pace. And so if you look at other sports, they isolate basic techniques, repeat them many, many times, build this kind of movement in your nervous system so that you can do them unconsciously with the proper technique and then move on to the next layer, the next level of complexity. And so that's what I do with my training programs is we cut all these processes up into their simplest form. I actually looked at how a pro racing driver can jump in pretty much anyone's car. You know, when I, when I go and coach somebody, I can jump in their car and be on the pace within four or five laps. Understand that car, understand how to drive it, extract uh, the most grip from it by changing my driving style in, in a very short period of time. So I actually broke all of that down and, and, and tried to understand what I was doing and how we could teach that in layers. And so we isolate these very basic techniques, build them up with re through repetition so that they become subconscious and they're kind of in the driver's nervous system, which is, quote unquote, a natural driver. And then we move on to the next thing. So, for example, we start with vision. Sounds like a really simple thing, but most drivers, you know, I've not met one driver whose vision we haven't tweaked and improved uh, because they've never actually put any conscious attention on it, rarely. And then thinking about how they steer the car into the corner, how they understand how they feel the car, how they understand the weight transfer in the car. But you try and do that all at once and none of it sticks. If you cut it down into little pieces, it actually sticks and, and gets kind of embedded very, very quickly. 
That's that's really fascinating. And you might be uh, amused and or humbled and or pleased to know that uh, I've I've recently had a, a a conversation with a chap who used to run the Jim Russell Racing School, and I was asking about how they develop racing drivers, and they had an exclusive track, and they broke down the driving into layers. <laughs> And um, <laughs> you'll be like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> but it's it's good because you've you've come at this like by the sound of it, you've just worked this out for yourself. But they were doing it as well, so hopefully that compounds the value that you're offering because these guys were super super successful. Um, they have a long list of champions who have been through the Jim Russell Racing School, uh, Emerson Fittipaldi, Jensen Button, people like that. And what they did, they spent the first morning just doing gear changes yep so so driving um up uh, a straight around uh, with a cone at either end and then just just driving and just changing it and then coming back down again yeah 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 we, we do okay yeah so I'm, I'm actually a little bit young to um i don't know when jim russell closed down but it was before before my time so yeah like you said that is very humbling to to hear that we do something similar with like a trail braking and rotation program we literally just go around in a circle for half a day uh, i actually spent with one of our clients who, who who comes very frequently i spent three days just going around in circles and get getting this feeling and understanding how to trail brake properly and extract a bit more grip from the car over and over again do you mix it up left and right because I, I, I was going to say otherwise you get dizzy, but the, the, re, the actual, in actual fact, is on some cars where you're sat off and you're not in the middle and you're sat off to one side, people can say, "Oh well, I find left-handers easier than right-handers." Yeah, yeah, we do, we do mix it up and we ch- we we change the circuits and and things like that. We change the angle of the corners and and maybe not just a loop, but you know, a, a four or five bend co- a track. It you know it we do, but it's it's very short. Um, and the idea is to to get that t- so imagine a track day where where you're trying to understand what the car's like on the limit this is the biggest problem for club drivers they they don't know how to react with the car on the limit typically when the car slides they'll have to respond to the slide as a reaction they're not really predicting what's going on they're not consciously kind of manipulating the car um, it's a surprise. It's a surprise to them and then they have to react and then they think oh my god what just happened I'm glad I'm not in the barrier and what we teach is to actually drive the car in a way that makes it easier to drive. You generate more grip and you can predict when when it's going to slide. And so that's, you know, when I told you about the, the kind of light bulb moment earlier on, that is yeah. the biggest moment when they're in control of the car rotating and sliding. And if so, going back to what I was saying, if you think about on a track day, when you have a an undistracted corner where you're driving the car properly on the limit and you're conscious about it because you haven't got any other distractions. If you think about the amount of actual useful time that you're on the limit on a track day, it's very minimal, right? Because you've got long straights, you've got lots of traffic, you're probably not conscious all of the time. Whereas if you take a very condensed circuit, like our trail braking and rotation program, the amount of time that we're on the limit learning without any distraction and the absolute time that we're on the limit is massively, massively multiplied. And that's what you need. And you, you also need the kind of back-to-back comparison. So on a big track, on a track day, you do red gate at Donington once, 
you do well, and then the next time you come around, somebody sticks it up the inside of you, or this, you know, there's there's someone in front, and you lose that lap of learning. But you also lose the back-to-back comparison because mm-hmm. then it's another yeah. two minutes until you've got another opportunity to feel what the car's like on the limit, by which time you might have kind of forgotten what the feeling was like and you've got to start again. And so that really hinders the learning process. So you, so with what you're doing, you're you're condensing that so they're getting much faster feedback, much higher level of repetitions. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, I always recommend when people then go testing that they go somewhere like Brands in the or Silverstone National. Short circuit. Short circuit, not many corners, lots of runoff at Silverstone National. <laughs> and it yeah. means that you get more opportunity to 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 try different things and you can re, you can retain the information from the previous lap much easier. Compare that to Silverstone GP, 20 corners or however many it is, it's very difficult to recall what happened with the the car on the previous lap because it's just been so long since you were back around there what would you suggest to people who are trying to do something for themselves what would you suggest for them to try such that they get that experience so going to a track day at a shorter track but i think almost with the mindset of of trying to i'm going to develop my driving in a certain way is that be what you something you'd suggest or yeah absolutely i mean there's this there's certain steps that you need to take like with the layers that that we build upon you you've got to start at the bottom um even with like something as basic as vision which a lot of people actually think that they've got right there's not been one driver come through our programs that we've not at least tweaked their vision uh, slightly so that's always the first place to start what i'd love about some of your videos that you've done uh, on driving is that you do talk about the vision on i think certainly on some of the track guides you you've annotated the video and gone right you need to be looking you need to be looking here i know you're over here right now but this is where you need this is where you're going <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah exactly so we've got if you go to our our, our youtube channel and and search for vision within the channel we've probably got five or six different tutorials on vision and then it, if which explain the theory and what you what you should be doing and how to go and put that in on track we've got all this information for free online right so it, that that's all there you can you can actually go and do it yourself um and then with the circuit guides although some drivers we, we might not have the circuit guides for some circuits but it does give you a good idea of then okay i know i should be looking a long way ahead and scanning with my vision around the circuit, but how far ahead is that going to be? And that's where the circuit guides actually really help because, as you said, you ride on board with me or whoever's on board I'm using, and I tell you where you should be looking. <clears throat> so that's the first step is is understand your vision, practice it. So watch uh, a video online of a good driver on the on whichever circuit you're going to and work on your vision with the laptop in front of you. It will just begin to train you to look further ahead. When you get your vision right, the car flows through the corner a lot better. It means that you won't have to correct the car as you're going through the corner, which means that ultimately the the grip is higher and the way the car reacts is a lot easier to control. If you're having to make kind of micro adjustments with the steering wheel, you're moving the weight in the car. You're moving the load in the car as you go around the corner, which means that when it does go over the limit, it kind of jumps over the limit rather than breathes into the limit. You know, we're looking for the car to push into the limit in a really subtle way. And if you're having to correct the car or tighten the lock as you go through the corner, 
it disrupts that and makes the car snappy and difficult to drive. I think going back to one of your first points about people making the transition from high performance driving on the road to racing, that piece there is is something that's really quite fundamental because it almost doesn't feel fast when you know what you're doing and you have it in that position. But generically think of fast driving, it's sort of all arms and power slides and lock you know it's all yeah sort of yeah yeah what looks heroic. fast what, what look and i mean that's um something that we that i use on the the page for our training programs is that you have a different stages of a driver uh you have the the first stage of a driver who is just below the limit they're below the limit because they're not confident in where that limit is and so they drive around at probably 80 or 90 percent of what's possible because they don't know where, where the limit is. They're scared of going over it. They might go over it now and then, but it's mm-hmm. a surprise and they feel like they're lucky to keep the thing on the track. So that's the first type of driver. The next driver who is the one who is just on the limit, maybe over it a little bit, and you know they're, they're manipulating the car pretty well and, and they're right on it. Everything's nice and smooth. And then beyond that, who's actually a, a slower driver than the previous one that I just mentioned, you have this guy who looks like a hero because he's all over the place and it looks super fast because it looks larry but actually he's still two or three seconds off the pace so that's the most common driver that we work with is the guy who's probably overly confident feels like the car's on the limit because it is on a limit but it's still <laughs> it two not. but it's still two seconds off the pace and it's yeah. this kind of self-imposed lower limit that comes through uh, lumpy inputs in the car. If that driver calmed down and actually put some conscious thinking into the weight transfer of the car and the balance of the car, they'd be able to generate some more grip. The typical problem, Samir, is that a driver will, you know, you imagine approaching Redgate, as we, we mentioned, or Brooklands at Silverstone that tightens up like Redgate tightens up. You go in, you try and break later each lap because you know that you've got to go quicker into the corner. But with that, you then carry more braking as you turn into the corner, more trail braking as you go into the corner, which ultimately adds more load into those front tires and removes it from the rear. So you're going in faster, but with more grip, more weight to the front of the car and less at the rear. And so the feedback that you get from the car is the rear sliding and you think, well, there's no way that I can go into this corner any quicker. Whereas actually, if you ease up off the brakes a fraction earlier to a slightly lighter pedal, pressure in the pedal, then you get more of that weight to the rear of the car where you need it. And then you can enter the corner more quickly and and off you go. And you can gain like three, four, five tenths of a second a corner if you get that right. But it's unnatural, right? Because the initial response is, how the hell can I go into this corner any quicker when it always already feels like it's trying to throw me off the track? And it's, it's really simple in theory, but doing it in practice and kind of getting your brain used to that is, is a different story. As you know, when you're going into a quick corner like Cops at Silverstone, a lot of the time you're actually getting back on the accelerator pedal to, to a light pedal, but quite early to settle the rear of the car down. That isn't a natural thing to do. Hurtling into a corner at 120 miles an hour and getting back on the throttle when, it, when it's already oversteering, is not a natural thing to do, but it's what we need to do to manipulate the car to get it to do what we want it to do on the entry. Yeah, there are some some mental barriers to overcome, aren't there? And if you if you if you if you can find the confidence to 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 get off the brake and get on the throttle, your life suddenly becomes a lot easier. But it just 
that mentally you're, you're panicking. You're thinking, oh my God, you know, and everything's saying get on the brakes harder. But all you <laughs> exactly. need to do is actually come off them, come off the brakes, come off the brakes. And even get on the throttle and you're like, you're what? You don't want to do what? <laughs> it takes drivers on our programs between seven and 15 attempts at doing that. We've got a specific, in towards the end of the day, specific part of the circuit that we do this on where we're trail braking and every driver goes into there and they get rotation and and they think that they've done it they're on the limit and then for the next five laps we're getting them to come out of the brake pedal there's a, a bit of friction at the beginning because it's such an unnatural thing to do and by lap 20 they're like i can't believe that this car is going through this corner as, as quickly as we are now it still takes me by surprise actually samir that if I jump in a new car, I'll do exactly the same thing, you know. <laughs> well, that gives us hope. <laughs> well, it's it's a natural human reaction, right? It's we're we're heading yeah. into. I've had a couple of psychologists come in and do our training programs, and it's because when you feel like you're going into the corner too quickly, you start to go into fight or flight, and your brain's yeah. priorities become something else, right? Protection, not not killing yourself, and so this middle pedal which represents safety to us because of all the road driving that we've done becomes the way that we get out of this problem by pressing it more when actually we need to rewire this and get rid of that completely. And this is going back to what I was saying about the difference between what we do during our programs and a typical track day is that we can just isolate this one thing. We can do it 15, 20 times in a row without any other distractions. And while there is still friction at the beginning, because it is a, unnatural thing to break once the brain realizes that this is actually a safer way and we're going to generate more grip with the car it sucks it up very quickly it absorbs it very quickly and and then then you have a new right way to do the thing yeah Uh, but having that controlled environment gives gives people the confidence and that's what you're trying to create by the sound of it yeah yeah exactly it gives you the confidence it gives you the repetition and you can also ensure that the pre-work is done the vision is right the way that you load the car into the corner is correct because if that goes then then it's screwed anyway because you're not giving yourself the right information at the right time one of the things that i've always like this is my little pet thing in my head is around carts and and their place in driver development now i know it's a different skill in terms of how to drive a car, but the experience of being at or over the limit in a car is quite accessible. Yes. And I've always been quite a fan of using a car at some point within driver development just to give people that little bit more confidence because the consequences of getting it wrong in a go-kart is is a lot lower and certainly a lot cheaper. And it's cheaper, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I think there's a reason that we start karting as kids. You know, it it it, yeah. it opens up capacity. I mean, um, obviously, you don't get the weight transfer that you get in a car, but no. you learn how to control oversteer. You get your vision in the right areas. For racecraft, it's incredible. I mean, uh, there's the underlying thing here from 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 maybe for a little bit more from from my perspective is is how do you know you're quicker? And then the answer maybe will you know is is in the data perhaps. So is that something you, you guys use? Yeah, we do use data. I mean, um, that's more... Where does it sit? Where does it sit? Because some people think, well, let's not get distracted by the numbers. I mean, ultimately, we're trying to qualify and pole and run away with the race, aren't we? So the pure lap pace has to be there. But 
at the beginning, for most drivers, I would say they need to understand what fast feels like. They need to understand what that perfect amount of rotation on corner entry feels like. Because it can be quite deceptive, I think, sometimes, what fast feels like, compared to if you're coming at it from the hero mindset as in like right i'm really driving this car arm falls a lock yeah right? it's tensing in the arms hanging on to the steering wheel aggressive gear changes stamping on the throttle and the brake you know you're coming at it from this that perspective actually working out that fast might feel a little bit more sedate in, in comparison yes is it's quite weird <laughs> I think as a rule of thumb that, that that's where a lot of drivers come in you know just wrestling in the car we have to bring them back down to like 90% and then bring, bring them back up through kind of perfect. I think if, it, if you were to describe it in one word, it would just be fluid. Fluid is the word. The, the car needs Love to it. flow through the corner. And when a driver's wrestling the car with the steering and the pedals and, and so on, that definitely isn't fluid. Yeah. So I, they're wrestling it because they don't have the feel and the things jumping up and down around the limit so they'll be over the limit by 10 percent, and then under it and then over it and the car will have multiple attempts at the corner when a driver is fluid they they feel a lot more because you're not jumping around so much in in terms of what you're asking for from the car it's just constantly there on the limit all the time i wish you could see me because i'm doing some crazy shapes with, <laughs> with my hands your hands around yeah. but i you know i i say you you need to breathe into the limit you don't need yeah. to jump up and over it. If you breathe into the limit, you're there for much longer, meaning you get much more feeling from the car, which then means you can refine even further from there in terms of adapting your technique slightly to try and generate some more grip. If you're jumping up and over it, you don't really know where the limit is because you're just shooting through it so quickly. When you breathe into the limit, you're there for such a long time. And then you can think, well, okay, I'm going into this corner. I'm still limited by the rear of the car. If I wanted to go five miles an hour quicker, two miles an hour quicker, the rear would be the thing that would, would be letting go. So what can I do with my own style, what I'm doing with the pedals to actually transfer some of the grip from the front to the rear and give myself a new limit, a higher limit? Because the limit isn't a static line, it's a band. Going back to those hero drivers, oh, yeah. they're the guys who are right at the bottom of the band. They're on, they're on a limit, but it isn't. they're not maximizing what they're getting from the car. The really fine... Um, sensitive drivers are opening up that limit and generating more grip. They're just generating more grip because they're not dropping the grip out of the car. So it's another thing that we do on our programs is actually show drivers. You know, we, we, we break it down into such simple forms where there's, there's an hour that we spend just weaving going up and down the airstrip because we even want to remove the track. I want our drivers to feel what it's like when you load the car up perfectly on corner entry, when you get that maximum or perfect amount of rotation. We then compare that to just having a linear steering rate where you bang the car into the corner and it's like 20% less grip. You know, the, the, yeah. the tire just folds over. It doesn't have chance to, it just bangs itself through the limit. And so I think it's really important that a driver understands what fast is and how that feels. So going back to what you were saying about data, it's really important uh, that the driver feels it first, and then we only use data for the last second, I'd say. From a driving performance analysis point of view, just to try and find that that last second, or or maybe 
is that better yeah, in terms of tenths on, on a corner or something like that? Yeah, exactly. When it gets really fine as well, there's also points that you need. You know, if I jump in, 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 in a new car that I've not driven before, I do rely very heavily on the Delta display while I'm in the car. You know, I, I've got enough capacity available when I'm driving that I can look at the Delta, analyze what's going on, adapt or change something for the following lap and work out how I need to drive this car. So whether it will accept a little bit of a little bit of wheel spin coming off the corner, whether we need to square the corners off a little bit more to concentrate on on getting the thing in a straight line and out the corner. Obviously, you've already got a bit of an understanding of this before you even jump in the car. You know, a, a GT car versus a Radical are going to have completely different racing lines, but there's still specifics in there that you'll be analysing the delta as you go around the circuit. So it. It is important for that. So we, we're up to speed. So we've done your course and we, we've come out and we're seconds a lap quicker and we, we are feeling good about ourselves in terms of driving around. And we go to the meeting and now we're in a race and we're under pressure by someone who's actually equally quite equally as good and they're giving us some some pressure. That can possibly be the time where some of this stuff starts to unravel because you're under pressure and you kind of almost go back to your native roots. What would you suggest people people do to try and cope with um, driving under pressure? Is there any way they can practice that? This is a, a capacity thing. And this is a making sure that when you do train, it gets embedded into your nervous system. So it is natural. Because when you've got other cars around you, does, you're using more mental capacity. And so you fall back to your quote unquote natural driving style. Mm-hmm. And so if that base or that core fundamental technique is only through you being trying to be conscious all the time about your vision or how you turn the car or how you trail brake, then of course, when the capacity, you know, when, when there's more mental load going through you, you won't have the bandwidth to think about consciously about where you should be looking on the track and these other 20 cars around you. So my advice there is that you do enough practice so that you commit these things, these core foundational technique into you so that becomes your natural driving style. And then you've got some capacity at the top when you're racing to actually think about how you overtake somebody and you don't have to worry about all the other stuff uh, that's going on. So that that's uh, just a question of of proper practice i suppose you know conscious practice that then these techniques get committed to to memory properly but so interesting you 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 haven't suggested practice more with other people you suggested practice more on your base skills so that you are more you have more capacity when you are then when that is then challenged in uh in a racing environment yeah yeah you're exactly right i mean i've worked with you know that that's the first step at least Obviously, jumping around 20 of the cars on track at a race start going into turn two at Snetterton, there's a lot of action going on and you can position yourself in various different areas to make the most out of that or protect yourself from from incidents. But the first level is making sure that you have the the core technique in place so that it's 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 there and you don't have to consciously. There's no way that if you're surrounded by another 10 cars on track or fighting you, that you're going to be able to consciously think about where you should be looking on the circuit. That just doesn't, you know, it's not going to happen, is it? So that all has to be in place. 
And then, yes, you can think about the racecraft and so on. And that comes with time. I think as simulators get better, uh, that will help drivers with racecraft because you just get lots more track time uh, actually battling with drivers. Well, that's what, I mean, it's one of the things that I've talked about to, with a few other people actually having fun because personally, I used to take it too seriously, even though it was just a hobby. And I'd be very disappointed all the time. And um, I almost had to give myself a sort of a, a wet fish smack around the face and say, like, you're doing this for fun yeah. and enjoy it. And ironically, when I did just gave myself a bit of a, a bit of a, a, an easier time, I, I did enjoy it much more and it went quicker. I was like, oh, well, I'll just carry on smiling. Then. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Because I think the type of people that it attracts – are competitive people the two things that are fun for me are having a really good battle with someone and winning <laughs> and, ext- yeah. and and extracting the most speed that i can out of the car whether that's setting it up or how i drive it and um and th- that's where i get my enjoyment from yeah and and that's that's the right lens i think that's the right perspective because ironically i do still get a bit frustrated but it's only if i feel as if i could have gone could have have done better yeah exactly well scott thank you so much for for taking the time it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation it'd be lovely to have you back on the show in the future just remind us again where where we can find you online just in case people um didn't get that the first time yeah so it's driver61.com or just search for driver61 on youtube and the 25 part tutorial all all the tutorials are free but the the structured uh classes which go really deep into the technique at driver61.com forward slash uni uni and we've also got a um, a free bespoke 10-page report on your driving. So there's like 35 questions uh, about the five principles of driving. So car control, uh, pace, quality, racing, and, and setup. Uh, there's, there's lots of questions there. We then process the information and send you back a report which um, which analyzes your driving and gives you some tips based on the information that you've given us. That's at drive61.com forward slash resources forward slash scorecard. It's quite a useful little tool. That's absolutely fantastic. I'll put some links in the uh, in the description below. So if anyone hasn't noted that down, you sh- you'll be able to find it in the, uh, the show notes, as it were. Honestly, thank you so much. It's been yeah, a real pleasure, a real life now. And uh, I wish you all the best. No problem. Um, I absolutely love talking about racing and and teaching. So uh, yeah, anytime I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for for having me. What an absolute privilege to have Scott join us on the show. I really hope you found that as fascinating as I did. It's often unusual in our sport to have someone so open and willing to share what they know in order to help others. If you've not done so before, do make sure you go and check out his site. It's great to see what he's doing, and I really do wish him all the very best. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit us at yourdatadriven.com.